Welcome to our September edition of the Space Hour here on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Eric White. We begin today with a bit of a more nuanced conversation about the commercial space industry. The main question, have we reached a point where the government needs to play a bigger role in regulating who space companies work with? On the one hand, everyone, of course, wants these businesses to have plenty of room to fix some of the most complex problems. But what if that comes at a cost to U.S. space superiority? My next guest tried to tackle that debate. Brent Ziarnik is Assistant Professor of Space Power at the Air Force's Command and Staff College. Brent Ziarnik is Assistant Professor of Space Power at the Air Force Command and Staff College. Here part two of our interview with him after a quick break. I'm Eric White. The main thing is more of a uh, maybe a military theorist approach. But it was really trying to get uh, more Navy and Navalist thinking out in the uh, uh, out in the space power discussion. Uh, now, why would that be important to your, uh, you know, your, ca- uh, you know, your podcast or your um, and the commercial industry and all that other stuff is because um, maritime theorists and Navy people have known for a long time that sea power is primarily economic. You know, why do people go out to the, you know, to sea? Well, to fish, to trade, to explore, to, you know, expand, to do all that kind of stuff. In the military, the Navy was really supposed to defend that kind of, uh, you know, behavior from pirates or predatory states or anything like that. And, uh, you know, for, you know, I've studied space power for, you know, ever since I was a cadet at the academy now, about 20 years. And it's, it's very clear to me and clear to a lot of the best thinkers in, uh, in space power theory that, uh, space power theory can learn an awful lot and borrow a whole heck of a lot from from sea power theory. And that naturally inclines itself to believe, you know, to get people to believe that the you know space forces, military space power is here to protect um, and help expand commercial activity. So, um, you know, this kind of, uh, of of understanding that as far as space power goes, you know, uh, space power is really supposed to serve the United States by expanding its economy uh, is uh, is well understood by by a lot of theorists. Not all of them agree with it, but it's virtually unheard of in uh, in, in military circles, especially the practical minded people uh, that are just trying to get the, the job done, making sure that GPS works, making sure that the uh, fielded forces get their information that they need from you know, intelligence and communications and, and stuff like that. So I wrote a practical guide to space power strategy um, based on under, on the understanding of space power strategy is, uh, you know, using space to further, uh, you know, national goals and national ambitions, national power. So, uh, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, it was just trying to get, in my opinion, uh, space power theory on the correct track and the Space Force in particular to get uh, to get its theoretical head, you know, screwed on straight to confront the uh, the, the issues, uh, the problems and the opportunities. And I stress the opportunities in space in the 21st century. How do you push forward your national interest when in space there are so many uh, international collaborations that take place, whether it's, you know, the International Space Station or um, us pa- launching satellites out of Kazakhstan? Um, wh- wh- what do you see that as factoring into maintaining um, space superiority? Uh, collaboration is is very important and very good uh, for, you know, the um, uh, for the nation and for uh, for the world where it is, you know, it's beneficial. 
Now, there's, uh, there's a certain line of thinking that, uh, that thinks that any cooperation in space is inherently good in and of, it, in and of itself, which uh, is just, quite frankly, not the case. There's a lot of predatory activities that go on. And if you're going to have a, a space power strategy where you as a nation are really interested in your, uh, the health of your uh, space industry, uh, you have to focus on the health of the uh, corporations, on the technologies, on the, uh, you know, the, the civil military uh, partnerships in space among all your sectors, government, um, you know, specifically military, you know, exploration and, you know, commerce and education and all that other stuff. You want to make sure that every choice that you make is really geared towards improving your ability and your nation's ability to operate in space. Uh, that's an absolute thing. You always want to do better. Um, great powers also want to do better relative to other great, do more and achieve more in space, uh, especially on the, you know, in terms of economic development and um, you know, generating wealth from space, which we know is out there and which we know that commercial industries is, and commercial corporations, especially in the United States, are very well prepared to start tackling on the commercial side of things, you you kind of it seemed as if you were saying they have a responsibility as well when they're working in this field. Um, if they're an American corporation, that they should be thinking about American interests as they're doing it. You know, what do you say to those who might come back and say, you know, no, my my goal is to make money in space and use all of the, my business's capabilities to make sure that my space activities work, not not you know necessarily um, making sure that the U.S. flag is planted up there. It's it's a tough issue, but it's also something that the government probably has to get a little bit tougher on, um, because uh, you know this this idea that uh, that you know economic interests and corporations and private interests are separate from uh, you know national interests are uh, you know just not uh, it's not right. But we've been aware of that for a long time. Um, uh, I'm an economist. Uh, I have my my PhD in economic development. And one quote from uh, from Thomas Jefferson, you know, uh, influenced my thinking a lot when he said, you know, merchants have no country. Uh, that's what he was trying to express, like, hey, I'm out to make a buck. Who cares? You know, uh, what's what's going on? Um, but that is really a uh, a short term um, very poor understanding of long term benefit for everybody. Uh, you know, a corporation that can, uh, you know, that wants to remain open to Chinese markets, let's say, or uh, to Chinese investment, it uh, gets a lot of money to build a, a spaceship or a satellite or something like that, and then ends up getting their uh, intellectual intellectual property stolen, uh, might have made a short-term great interest, you know, a, a great idea, but in the long term, uh, it's just not sustainable, not to mention you know, the, uh, the damage to, um, uh, you know, uh, national security and individual security within nations that, uh, that have had that problem. And one example that people don't really talk about anymore, but, uh, but I sort of grew up with was the, uh, the Laurel issue in the mid 1990s, where, uh, the Chinese long March rockets kept exploding. Uh, they didn't understand why they weren't working. Uh, yet they started to launch U.S. commercial uh, communication satellites um, because they were a little bit cheaper. They were marginally cheaper. And uh, one, uh, I believe it was a Hughes 
you know, commercial satellite uh, went up on a, uh, on a Long March rocket and it exploded. And then all kinds of American engineers went to China to try to figure out how to, uh, you know, why the Long March rocket failed. And they found out. And then they explained it to China. And then Chinese missiles and rockets ever since have had, you know, uh, success rates comparable to the United States. Uh, hey, congratulations for, you know, a quarter point on your stock price. You just gave a geopolitical competitor, you know, ICBM and spacelift technology that, you know, a mere, what, 25 years later, we have, uh, you know, a peer competitor in space. And don't, uh, don't make any mistake, China is a peer competitor in space. They are not a near peer or anything else that keeps us, you know, warm and fuzzy here in the United States thinking that we're ahead by a lot. We're ahead, but we're not ahead by a whole lot. And if we keep sitting here, we're not going to be ahead for more than a handful of years or months. Um, but it's it requires a, a fundamental change from this free market ideology that we've had for uh, quite a while into more of a strategic, um, you know, uh, uh, strategic trade policy, you know, almost to a sense of mercantilism, even though that's a bad word. It's it's how it's how economies develop, um, and America needs to develop its economy a lot better uh, than it has been to remain uh, primary in economic um, impact and economic strength throughout the world, or else we're in a serious trouble um, with other near peer competitors, uh, you know, being able to spend more money than we are militarily. An economic interest uh, will eventually lead to national security, you know, our uh, consequences. And it seems like it has. And space is a huge way. And American free market uh, philosophy in space has really come back to bite us as far as China goes. Yeah, this is just uh, crazy for me because, you know, I've been I've been doing these interviews for the past few months. And a lot of the government officials that I speak with you know, they're praising the fact that they have so many companies now coming to them and they're willing to work with pretty much anybody. And, um, you know, this is just a, a little different side of thing of what we're hearing um, on this show, uh, this very show, you know, that you're saying, hey, you know, maybe we should take a step back and maybe have what do you think more consideration kind of like the defense field does? Are you saying that the free market idea served its purpose already and it's time to move on to a more uh, closed off lower? the amount of memberships <laughs> well you know it's sort of funny that uh, you know no one's more uh, hardcore economic nationalist than a uh, than an ex-libertarian right <laughs> an economist so, um, yeah i, I was, I was yeah. wondering hey <laughs> well i uh no joke i was a uh, a libertarian for a long time until you look at uh, economic history and uh, you know all the mature economies um developed under you know uh, more or less restrictive you know, uh, uh, trade policies and, uh, and internal economic development policies. The United States did that in the 19th uh, century. Um, you know, the British did that in the 17th century. The uh, South Koreans, um, you know, were the, most, were the poorest country in the world in the 1950s and 1960s. And because of their trade practices and their internal development are now ranked as a first world nation by quite a bit. Uh, you know, um, economic theory as um, argued and, and, you know, promulgated through uh, most of academia nowadays just has nothing to do and has no, um, you know, concept of economic history, which would suggest that it's wrong. But, um, but again, you know, there's, uh, I would probably not be hired on any, uh, you know, academic um, 
uh, you know, economics uh, departments by saying that. But uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that even, uh, you know, our own U.S. economic history is uh, is is very much a, uh, a testament to if you have free trade and someone else doesn't like China, you get trade deficits in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And the first macroeconomic issue that you, uh, you know, you uh, confront in a macroeconomics class is, uh, you know, the GDP equation. And if you have a trade deficit, you lose that amount of money in your economy, in your economic development. And the other country that gains that money uh, develops their economy. So there's no, um, you know, there, it's, it's not a secret what's happening between the United States and China. What people are trying to hide is that it's mostly the United States doing, you know, not very smart things uh, on a national level for the benefit, uh, for the very, very term benefit of um you know, uh, uh, you know, U.S. companies that want to deal with uh, with China. Um, it's it's unfortunate. It doesn't feel American. But the fact is, is that that's just the way I've been taught for the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and in fact, that was not the economic understanding of the United States for most of its history. Uh, to face, um, uh, we've had people confront uh, me about this before where uh, they're like, hey, we can stay, we can out innovate, say, China. So, uh, you know, you should let me do whatever it is uh, I need to do to continue to innovate. Um, and if that deals with taking Chinese money and working with them, so be it. We'll always be ahead of, of China and technology and stuff like that. Uh, but the problem is, is that, you know, innovation itself does not build up economic strength. You have to deploy those innovations to, you know, develop wealth. And that's always the equation that they're missing when they're saying free trade will solve everything. Um, you know, uh, the iPhone being one example, uh, you know, um, the iPhone is, is a big deal. It's a great, uh, it's a great tool developed in California, designed in California, uh, manufactured in, you know, it used to at least be manufactured in China. And where does most economic development in wage growth and money change hands in the production of goods not design of goods. Going back to what you were saying about learn something from maritime policy, uh, judging from your the thoughts you expressed in the paper, that is it more on learn what not to do or or learn what to do um, when it comes to implementing the ideas behind maritime policy into space policy? I think it might be a little of both. Mm. Um, you know, uh, maritime policy is very good at uh, at linking. Uh, economic development with military development and, you know, even, um, uh, you know, political objectives in what I get into in the article, the, the virtuous, you know, the virtuous cycle, um, which is, hey, uh, this was originally understood and developed by Thucydides, you know, thousands of years ago uh, in his on the Asian War. But if you have a strong navy, um, that will allow you to, uh, you know, protect an expanded maritime commerce, which will in turn give you more uh, access to resources, which turns into wealth, which you can then, uh, you know, reinvest at least a portion of back into your Navy to where the Navy and the ec economy just building upon each other to be, you know, to develop gigantic maritime empires, very wealthy maritime, maritime empires like uh, Athens or Great Britain in the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries, uh, things that we've seen a lot. Now, we have not seen a space power, uh, you know, a great, 
a great spacefaring empire. But the inherent strategy and the strategic logic uh, maintains, it really does. If, for instance, the government and the military were able to better coordinate uh, with, um, with our, uh, our very limited companies here in the States, like SpaceX, Blue Origin, um, you know, who are developing just transformational technologies, uh, you know, we could advantage that, that development faster and money and more capability that we can then get into the Space Force much more quickly should the need come. If we forget the strategy behind, you know, economics versus maritime uh, military power, on the risk of doing dumb things like focusing on battle, a tactical issue, versus focusing on economic, political, and military expansion, you want to be focused on strategic expansion of economics of uh, capability. And I get into, you know, an expanded understanding of what space control is, which is not just military control, like we would think air power, you know, being um, uh, air control or, or something like that, but also scientific and economic control, which is, hey, space is hard. We hear that a lot. Um, but really, if we're going to try as the United States get, say, 50 people to Mars, is China stop us? Or is the environment itself going to, and it's not China. So uh, we have a problem with operating in space easily. And the better we get at operating in space, strategically, we're better off, regardless of what, you know, uh, what a, a, you know, a state competitor is doing. Um, and I think that's how maritime, uh, you know, theory really helps us, tries to focus space forces on what to do, you know, how to do it strategically, how to get our, um, you know, uh, the most strategic benefit for the nation out of our space activities. And it also tells us what not to do, uh, which is, you know, maybe overly focused on narrow military concerns, which I bring up in the uh, article as well, that, uh, you know, the, the Space Force seems to be doing a little bit. Um, you know, they're more focused on the threat from China and Russia rather than the opportunity, which is, hey, the United States is on the leading edge of a lot of new transformational technologies. Maybe we should try to help. And, uh, you know, to their benefit, there's a lot of people in the Space Force that are trying to do that, but it still hasn't really hit the mainstream uh, in Space Force thinking, aside from occasional congressional rhetoric or rhetoric to Congress. Um, but uh, at least that's what my article was trying to get a, around. It's like, hey, think strategically. And in order to do that, you have to start thinking about these thoughts. There's going to be things that government likes and doesn't like. There's going to be things that corporations like and don't like. Uh, but what we have to do is work together um, in a, uh, you know, they call it a whole of government approach for, you know, the U.S. government writ large. But really in space, what America needs is a whole of nation approach, not where one person controls everything. But we all try to agree on one way that we could all sort of point together to make sure all of our interests are taken care of. And that requires cooperation, not really coercion. Um, but, uh, but again, it was an article that was trying to get some ideas out there that I think are desperately needed. There's a lot of really rich um, discussions that we could be having, uh, yet no one seems to uh, really want to engage. I have gotten some positive feedback from you know mentors and friends and other people. Um, uh, I haven't gotten a whole lot of negative stuff, but that's probably because they're not going to email me directly, <laughs> you know. Um, 
But really, the the argument uh, the argument and the discussion that we're having in space at a strategic level just doesn't really exist in the United States beyond a handful of people that that just you know do it by part of their job or because they're sort of inclined, uh, and that's really not a good thing. Um, we really need to have this discussion. It's like, hey, do we champion you know free market uh, you know sort of international libertarianism, or do we have to be a little bit more? Um, cautious about trading high technology with China. Well, there's that debate, there's that argument, but it very rarely um, extends beyond just sort of political, you know, ideas and doesn't really rest on a lot of theory. And uh, okay, let's discuss exactly what we have to do, why we have the munitions list, why we have, you know, ITAR and stuff like that. And we just don't really get into it much. Um, and, uh, you know, in the debates that we're having in the Space Force right now is, uh, not really what the space force should be doing. It's where should the space development agency go? You know, that's organizational and political in nature. Uh, maybe some people that are interested in, you know, lobbying Congress might be interested in that, but ultimately space is not going to, you know, the American space efforts not going to live or die, whether or not the space uh, development agency is under the department of the air force or not. It's more important on what we're doing. And it just seems like in space right now, we're not having the larger discussions that uh, a strategically mature great power should be having. That was Brent Ziarnik, Assistant Professor of Space Power at the Air Force Command and Staff College. Coming up after the break, we learn more about small satellites, like really small ones. This is the Space Hour on Federal News Network. I'm Eric White. <laughs> 